Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Actually, before I preach the sermon I believe the Lord's given me to preach, I wanted to comment briefly on the Deuteronomy reading that we just heard, which I receive as this last Sunday in this current building um, as both a, um, a revealing of blessing, right? I, the, 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 the promise of I will lead you into good places. And I did in all those years in the wilderness, were you ever hungry? Did your shoes ever wear out? That we are sort of as a congregation still um, analogously in a somewhat pilgrim phase of our congregational life, wandering building to building through different things. And the Lord has not let our shoes wear out. We heard just a few weeks ago that the budget is balancing, that you all's generosity is keeping everything going and um, providing for me and my family and for our facilities and all these things. And um, I take it as a, as sort of a reminder, like, look, the Lord has carried us thus far and he will keep providing for us. And the call is always the same, whether we're in the deserts of Sinai, wandering, or whether we're in a stable place, the call is the same, faithful obedience and worship of Christ Jesus, right? That, that stays the same. And that is the thing that is itself infinite blessing, and from which come the many material blessings the Lord gives us in his mercy. Um, so I just want to, I'm so grateful that that was the assigned reading in our lectionary. You know, every three years we're on this three-year lectionary that in God's providence, that was the reading we got to hear on our last Sunday um, here at uh, Sweet D. So thanks be to God for that. Okay, but the text I wanted to um, comment, I felt led to comment on this uh, Sunday, Ephesians 4.29. So first, just to frame this, the the word that captured me in this um, reading is that word corrupting, corrupting. And And it strikes me that as living things get old, Everything goes towards crumbliness. They decay, they become brittle, less flexible, and they don't work as well as they once did. Um, this is true of the limbs of trees as the limbs of people, as some of you have told me you know all, all too well. Everything, in fact, welcome back, Becky, with her hand, of course. <laughs> Tendons crumbling and now restored, thanks be to God. And a good doctor. Um, Everything in this world is, is in fact, decaying. Um, Lincoln tells me the physicists call this entropy. Um, Things that are supposed to be hard, like drywall, become soft and crumbly. Things that are supposed to be soft, like tendons, become hard and crumbly. Everything is en route to crumbling. One of the biblical words for crumbling is the Greek sapros, translated here, corruption. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. We have an antonym. The opposite of corrupting is upbuilding, right? The opposite of sort of, think about like bricks and mortar, like decaying and crumbling. The opposite of corrupting is upbuilding. That's the kind of talk we're to let come out of our mouths, only such as is good for building up, which is obviously a moral metaphor, right? The speech of a Christian shouldn't cause moral decay to the one listening. It should do the opposite of decay. It should build up. And this is a straightforward commandment from God, spoken through St. Paul. And as a commandment, our part is therefore to obey, which means to seek to obey and to repent when we disobey, 
right? This is the standard God has set, which we, in our, in our um, sinfulness, the residue of the old Adam that is not yet fully put to death. Um, ah, it's got to be so careful because this is such a balance in the New Testament, right? That in a, way, in a way, it's already fully put to death in Christ, but we won't see that fully realized until we're glorified in heaven by his mercy. So we're on route to its being put to death. But we're called to obey it, to repent when we fall short, knowing that the Lord is merciful to those who repent. So as those who claim Christ Jesus as Lord, wholesome, upbuilding speech is the goal. And just a little tidbit, you know this thing we do when the gospel is read? You know, it's a, we're gesturing a prayer, which is, Lord, be in my mind. Lord, be in my speech. Lord, be in my heart. That's why we make that triple sign of the cross. And, and it's this middle one that we're sort of focusing on in this Ephesians passage. Lord, be in my speech. Be in my speech. And I offer it actually as a sort of helpful reminder to sort of um, live within the command of this verse, that gesture, that when I, I find, when, I'm temp- when, I, when I feel rising in me, speech that will be corrupting, right? That, to rem- that Lord, set a watch upon my lips. Lord, be in my speech. And a physical gesture can help remember the Lord's direction in this. So it is a command, but if we stop at just a command, at just the command, we'd be in danger of just having a moralism rather than a Christian morality. And there's a great difference between those two things. A moralism by itself has no gospel in it. But Christian morality is built on the gospel and is for the gospel, and that's exactly what we have in Ephesians chapter 4 surrounding this verse. The two things I want to unpack. Because it might seem at first a little bit scrupulous to have this rigorous attention to something that's seemingly as small as speech, right? It's just just words, we think. Is it really that important? The answer is, yes, it is that important. And we see this throughout the New Testament. Our Lord himself says, recorded in Matthew 12, 36, on the day of judgment, right, the great day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That's a strong word, right? Every careless word they speak. And the reason why there is this enormous attention that the Lord kind of puts the spotlight on our speech, Jesus reveals a few verses earlier in Matthew 12, he says, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Our words reveal our hearts. What you say reveals what you really believe, what your interests are what you're aiming for, what your convictions are, and your emotions. And, and this is this, the very logic we see in Ephesians chapter 4. That word corrupting appears twice. Corrupting speech comes from a corrupted heart. They're connected. The old self, who we were before Christ, it says in verse, 30, verse 22, is corrupt, there's that word again, is corrupt through deceitful desires. Deceitful desires. Um, deceitful and desires are, is an interesting pairing there. I think the thing is, is that the desires, and that word desire, it's not good desires, like the way we think of kind of aspirational longings. The word there in Greek is epithumia, and it's our base fleshly desires. And the scriptures break those down as really falling under two heads, um, anger and lust. Right? Those are the two chief epithumia, the two chief desires. And they are deceitful because both of those, right, kind of bring before your eyes something that you think you want 
which is not actually what you should just get, right? Oh, if I just spoke angrily, I'd feel so much better. It would make it better if I just really opened up. Or, oh, this object of sexual desire, this is the thing that I think I want, and it's not. It's poisonous fruit. The desires themselves are deceitful. And when we follow them, it corrupts our hearts, causes them to decay, to ossify and to harden. If we follow these deceitful desires, lust and anger chiefly, um, we find ourselves less sensitive to the movings of the spirit, less compassionate towards our brothers and sisters. Like everything about the heart becomes harder. It's no accident that if we eat luxuriously, what happens to our arteries? They harden, arterosclerosis. That's the Greek word for hardening. The New Testament uses the word cardiosclerosis, the hardening of the heart. When we follow fleshly desires, we become hard, the opposite of how God is wanting to make us, where we hear at the end of this chapter, tender-hearted. Right? That great prophecy in Ezekiel that in Christ Jesus, we are being made softer inside. I will give them new hearts, hearts of flesh, instead of hard hearts. When our hearts harden through following deceitful desires, the other thing is it becomes easier and easier to do those, the things those desires are leading us to. This is not the way of Christ, the way Christians are called to follow. This is the way of the old man, the old, the, the old person, as it's named in the scriptures, in the Ephesians. The old man that we've put off, which is, has its overlap with the New Testament language of baptism. Right? Who, who you are in the flesh, who you are just by nature, that's been put off. It was washed away by the grace of God through the waters of baptism. That's, that's not you. That's not you anymore. You are a new creation. You're a new kind of thing, a new person. Because you have put off the old man and you have put on Christ Jesus. Right? The old has been washed away and the new has come. You are now in Christ. You are something new. So when we act like who we were, it's actually, there's something false about it. That's why it says, having put away falsehood. Right? That's not, when a Christian follows the flesh, we're doing what is no longer who, who we truly are. St. Paul would say, it's, it's not even I who sin, it's sin that lives in me that is doing these patterns of the old man. It's false to, for a Christian to speak in a corrupting way. It's like, that's not who you are. You've been given a new heart. That speech doesn't line up with what the work that God has truly done in you through faith and through your baptism. So, so don't, don't be false. Don't follow that old way. Corrupting speech that winks at evil, jests at pain. Corrupting speech that mocks others or denigrates something that God has made. It will have a corrosive effect. I, the image is of corruption and corrosion. It's almost like we've, we have, by the grace of God, put on Christ. But when we speak these corrupt speech, it's like acid that eats away at this vestment that we have on, right? And that if we keep speaking that way, it will keep kind of corroding. And the Lord in his mercy will, can rebuild and restitch and heal up what has been corroded. But when we speak corruptly, it eats away at the Christ the Christian identity we've put on. And it's not just for those who listen to us, right? Because we are also hearers of our own speech. What we speak could corrupt others and it corrupts us. 
one of the great teachers of the spiritual life has this phrase that was, has been profoundly um, orienting to me. The phrase is very simple, that w- we must be careful about our speech because words fix feelings. Words fix feelings. That in our heart, things kind of have this sort of s- vaguely defined sort of feeling, but then when we speak it, it becomes concretized and, and realer. And this is, I think, why when folks are in love, they love to say, I love you, because you're putting speech to like, I got these feelings here and I want to make it realer. Let me tell you how much I love you. And what's true about good speech is also true about bad speech. That if we speak impurely, if we speak crassly or harshly or bitterly, what gets concretized in our life is crassness and harshness and impurity and bitterness. So when God gives us a command about our speech, far from being superficial, he's actually going for our hearts, which he wants and which he says in Proverbs, which are to be guarded above all else. So being careful about speech is a way, a most practical way of being careful about our hearts so that we can be, as the scripture commands, tender-hearted, the opposite of cardiosclerosis. The Holy Spirit now lives within us. We've received his grace. This part of my notes sermon was not where we're actually at. (laughs) Um, This guardianship of the heart exists because, because Christ has come to live in our hearts. We need to be careful what we're doing with them, right? Careful in our speech to treasure and guard and enjoy the grace and the goodness that God has given us by his Holy Spirit. That's why we have this command to refrain from corrupting speech because of the gospel that the Holy Spirit has made your heart new and we should treasure and keep that. We're to speak that which is good for building up. Um, and that's what we talk about. That's, this command is based on the gospel and it's for the gospel. That which is building up. Think about building a house. Our speech, there may, you may, the Lord may provide the opportunity to give the very first cornerstone of faith to someone. When you get to tell someone that Christ Jesus died for them and they say, I receive that. Right? You actually have, you have, the Lord's used you to lay the cornerstone of the building up of their Christian life. So speech might do that. That's up building. You're building a building. Or it may be you're encouraging a brother, sister here who's been a Christian for 50 years and you're giving them the 10,000th brick in their life, upbuilding speech that builds them up, to use the language of Colossians, into the full stature of Christ Jesus. Whether we're upbuilding fellow Christians who are mature or those who have only just are on their way to Christ, our speech should be upbuilding. Speech that is the opposite of corrupting. So therefore, upbuilding speech is modest and thoughtful and charitable and gentle, speech that um, explicitly points to Christ in heaven, speech that is generous and honest and truthful, speech that is self-conscious that every word will be judged on judgment day, speech that's attentive to what's being revealed in the heart, right? When we listen to our own speech, we can kind of tell on ourselves and see what's in our heart. So this came home to me um, in a painful way in this last week, with being so wrapped up in all the material things of uh, moving houses, I found myself speaking 
angrily at my girls and barking at them, which is not, by God's grace, is not my characteristic habit to do, but I found myself like, Lizzie, what are you doing? It's like, oh, oh, why am I speaking? What, what, what's going on in here? And, I, and as, as I step back and I realize, oh, it's because I've become, I've become too engrossed in the things of this world of furniture and repairs and paint and all these things and forgetting that these things are, they have meaning, but they're not ultimate, they're transient. One of my dear friends in Wisconsin, they, ha- they have a really cute home and above the dining table in, in cross stitch, where you, you know, usually have like home, sweet home, it, ha- it has the word temporary. And I love that. It's like, it's just temporary. Everything here, it's all temporary. And I was like, I'd lost sight of that, and my speech revealed it. Because if my heart was fixed in the Lord in heaven, I would more patiently and, and easily fix stuff and move stuff and be a bit less worried about it. But because I'm all, I got all wrapped up, I was speaking angrily, and so I, I needed to repent to the Lord and to Lucy and Jane and say, I'm sorry. That's, I should never speak to you like that. Feeling angry is okay. Yelling at you like that is not okay. And I, and I, and I said, I'm, I've asked the Lord to help me with this. Um, and those of you who know Lucy, then the next day, I sort of caught my, the Lord reminded me and I caught myself. And Lucy was like, good job, Daddy. You didn't speak angrily. And I'm like, thank you, Lou. <laughs> so it keeps you humble too. <laughs> Isn't that classic, Lucy? <laughs> um, and uh, angry speech, I think also in particular, is, must be far more dangerous than we realize. Um, not just to kids, but, but to each other. Because it, it's so in, it really caught me in verse 31 of this passage that when the Spirit speaking through Paul kind of gives this list of things that are corrupting, all six things named are really versions of anger, right? Bitterness, wrath, which is anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Those all kind of come like tentacles of the anger octopus, right? That should sink in that angry speech is something we should be especially attentive to. Upbuilding speech is needful. Upbuilding speech creates a spring through which the living waters of the gospel can flow. And there's something really disjunctive about someone who with, in one moment is saying, oh yeah, God is so merciful in Christ Jesus, and then the next moment is tearing apart their neighbor, either, or, or either to their face or slander is just anger behind the back, right? Or, or behind their back. And whether that's with lips or in our days on a keyboard like this or a keyboard like this or whatever it is, right? It's like, it's like oh no. And, and of course, God spoke through St. James to sort of pull this image together. Salty water and fresh life-giving water, they can't come from the same spring. The salt will pollute the fresh water. It takes a little bit of salt to ruin water and make it not yummy to drink or good to drink. That we're to keep, if we think of the mouth as like a spring. Have any of you ever seen a natural spring, like water just coming out of the ground? I've only seen it once in my life, Scuppernong Springs in Wisconsin. It was like a revelation, like water just comes out of the ground and you could just put your hand in and drink it. It was so fresh and it was like, this is amazing. Um, I was like, water, and, and to think of the mouth as a spring of water, is it bringing forth fresh water that's upbuilding or salty water? Blessing and cursing can't come from the same mouth. And so if we want the, this spring to be available to share the gospel, either to remind each other of the gospel or to bring someone into the knowledge of the gospel, it, the spring needs to be ready. It needs to be free of the corrupting speech. Verse 29, so that we may give grace 
to those who hear. Because when you narrate the gospel, when you remind or tell someone about what Jesus has done, um, God actually brings into reality what is narrated. Right? It's not just some past thing like, oh, the Battle of Waterloo or whatever. Um, in speaking of Christ's grace, we actually make present to the hearers, which is ourselves too, the grace of God. Okay, I realize I'm going on a bit longer than I usually do. Um, wow, quite a lot longer. Um, as, a, as a sort of epilogue, though, and with this I wrap up, <coughs> I've also been very blessed by the words that are here, that you, if, if you caught them, um, to speak speech that is upbuilding as fits the occasion. Um, a more literal translation was, would be, as is necessary, as is necessary. And what I love about this is that the Lord invites us to have attentive ears and eyes to what sort of gracious speech is needed in which occasion. Because right? I think I still have in my mind that what we really should be doing is doing only sort of cold call evangelism in every conversation. And I, and my, I don't actually believe that's true, but it still kind of haunts my mind a bit. And this scripture tells me otherwise, that the picture of spreading the good news of Jesus is different than that. And I think this figure of water is really helpful, that there's different ways of distributing water, right? Sometimes in life, a fire hose is needed, like when there's a house fire, right? I'm glad we have fire hoses for house fires. But fragile garden plants, they need a gentle sprinkling. Right? They won't do well with the fire hose. We are to pour forth living water as fits the occasion. So sometimes that's a gentle Christ-honoring sprinkle, right? Just a little, a slight refreshing word of gospel truth. Sometimes that might be the prophetic exhortation, the fire hose, right? Brother, before God is our witness, I believe you need to stop this, right? Or whatever, I mean, like, it could be a fire hose. But there's different ways of distributing water as fits the occasion. And our speech about God should be the same way. And since we don't know what occasions the Lord will present to us in the day, we don't know what the Lord will open up in our different conversations. Therefore, we should at all times keep the spring ready and clear to have, by the God's help, the habit of speaking in an upbuilding way so that we can share the gospel as fits the occasion. Share it with our brothers and sisters in the church, with our neighbors in the world, and I love just to use that wonderful phrase at the end of Ephesians 4, with kindness and tender-heartedness. Amen.